truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in here live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Hence the name of the show. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Chris Pandolfo from The Blaze is here with us too. We'll get to the Dace Group, our week in review roundtable in just a moment. 888-933-93 is the number. 888-933-93. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E for those of you listening on podcast or uh, via Blaze Radio. You can also like us on Facebook. Where I have grown by literally 20 Facebook likes in two years. Aaron, you told me last night, how many um, iTunes reviews have we added in the last week? Well, thanks to our audience, we've added about 200 uh, reviews slash ratings on iTunes in just a week. Can anybody explain to me how it is possible? We have added 200 ratings and reviews on iTunes in a week. 80% of Americans have a Facebook account. And I've added literally 20 likes in two years. Can anybody explain that to me? Well, sure. Those are all zero reviews, so nobody's liking it. <laughs> <laughs> and there he is from over the top rope, Harry Potter. He's- yes. Yes. He just cursed me. Yes. From the room of requirement. How are you, Harry? I'm doing well, Steve. How That's are you? great. Yeah. Shut him off. <laughs> this is off to a great start. Wish Voldemort would have won. Coming up a little bit later on, a little Feedback Friday. We'll get to your feedback. And maybe you can email me and explain to me how we've added 200 reviews in one week on iTunes and 20 likes in two years on Facebook. Also, today's Truth Bomb and more. One of the things we like to do on our show is support noble causes, like shutting off Chris Pandolfo's mic. And also... Spreading the word of God to the ends of the earth, which obviously Chris, based on his behavior so far, needs to read a little bit more of, if you ask me. I'm just saying. All right. Our friends at Back to Jerusalem, they are based in communist China, and they want to take the word of God to what are called closed countries. These are countries that have closed off the scriptures from their people because they want to close their people off from hope and inspiration. They want to keep them oppressed. Countries like... Um, you know, where we get our congresswomen nowadays, uh, Somalia, uh, North Korea, Iran, etc. Uh, if you want to take advantage of uh, what they do at Back to Jerusalem, they've taken the word of God, they've put it in an electronic form that's the size of a large pill that makes it easy to smuggle past the gatekeepers in these countries. They're asking each of us uh, for one time uh, to put uh, $15 down to do this, the cost of you and a guest going to a fast food lunch. If this is something that you want to help out with, if you're looking for a worthwhile cause blazehelp.org that's blazehelp.org or give them a call at 844-305-0566 that's 844-305-0566 and now it's time for the day's group I still can't stop smiling when we run this now. Because I think it back to a month ago when I was down in Dallas and we did this with Sarah Gonzalez from The Blaze. Sure, yeah. And, and she had this look on her face like, holy crap, you guys did just totally rip this off. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to issue one. Whoever's dumbest last loses. 
In one corner, we have the party of blackface, KKK costumes, no consequences for allegations of sexual assault, infanticide, communism, and Elon Omar. It seems like there's some confusion among your colleagues. Are you anti-Semitic? Would you support this resolution uh, condemning anti-Semitism? Congresswoman, would you support the resolution condemning all forms of bigotry? Democratic leaders now say they don't know when a resolution condemning anti-Semitism might be ready for a vote. It was supposed to be today, but some Democrats want to get on the board condemning other kinds of prejudice. In the other corner, we have the party of shutting the government down for over a month for literally no reason. Globalist cucks and open borders corporatists. We're going to have a lot of people coming into the country. We want a lot of people coming in and uh, we need it. We want to have the companies uh, grow. And the only way they're going to grow is if we give them the, the workers. And the only way we're going to have the workers is to do exactly what we're doing. I think we're going to need to make some new shirts. First question, as you know, you're watching both sides help, um, help, I guess, foment uh, an environment that would lead to their own demise. And, you know, one thing I've learned in life, you can't control the environment. You can, you can shape the pre-existing environment. You can put yourself in a position to shape it to your advantage, but you can't determine an environment. And as, as you watch, uh, the same week, Democrats cannot condemn anti-Semitism. Lou Dobbs is breaking ranks with the globalist cuck White House. It, you are literally, in, in one week, we watched both sides f- help frame the environment in, in a way that would help their, their opposition win in the next election. So, who's doing more damage to themselves right now and why? Chris Pandolfo, we go to you first. What do you think? Um, I think the Democrats are doing more damage to themselves personally right now with all the anti-Semitism stuff that's going on. I mean, the party, what the party demonstrated this week is they can't even get enough of their conference together to vote for a resolution condemning blatant anti-Semitism from Ilan Omar. They they just couldn't do it. They tried to get the vote together and then the vote fell apart. And then they wanted to add all these different types of hate to the resolution. And then that fell apart because they didn't add enough types of hate. And then they didn't even condemn Ilan Omar specifically. And now you have the mainstream media after the vote's over and done with and 20 Republicans voted against this resolution because they saw it for what it was, a sham. The mainstream media is saying, oh, it's the Republicans who are the problem. They're the ones who couldn't even vote against a hate, anti-hate resolution. And I think people are watching that and they're thinking to themselves, you know, look, these Democrats, they're crazy. And so what the 2020 election is going to come down to is it is going to be whoever's done this last, but it's also going to be, do I dislike Donald Trump's stupidity more than I don't like socialism and racism against white people, which, which I think is where we're at now. Because the resolution that Democrats proposed spent like the first three pages going against uh, just condemning white supremacism, which is totally irrelevant to anything that happened in Congress which uh, generated the need to have this resolution. Like the point of it was supposed to be, we're going to condemn Ilan Omar. And by the time they got to the end of the process, they couldn't even do that. And she feels emboldened now. She's back to tweeting mean things about John McCain and uh, calling the whole outrage over her comments a faux outrage. So she hasn't learned her lesson because she's getting away with it. 
And that, that's the question. Do people, are people going to tolerate that? Or are they going to tolerate President Trump maybe, maybe breaking one or two of his promises? Personally, I think uh, Trump breaking his promises weighs less with Trump's voters than the Democrats being insane right now. Uh, but that's just my take. By the way, she's Miss Omar is dunking on Obama today, going after uh, Obama for having the same uh, barbaric uh, child separation border policy uh, that Trump had, uh, going after him for uh, all the drone strikes of uh, jihadists in predominantly Muslim lands. So you're dealing with a situation now where, you know, we talked about this yesterday, Todd, that that. They the, the week started with them saying, this chick's killing us. We got to do something about this. All right. And so we're going to distance ourselves from her now, make her stapler guy from office space, and she'll be out there, you know, rambling on for the Young Turks. But we have distanced ourselves so she won't get on MSNBC and break through the Overton window and, and get into the mainstream. We've done that. That was the plan, right? Yeah. Just to do that right now. Okay. And they failed. And it's failed. And now that now that now she's emboldened to now she's dunking on Obama, uh, and and now what you're watching you're going to watch her do uh, is is she's going to give you what most Muslim what most Muslims in predominantly Muslim cultures and countries believe. Like I, I tweeted out today, there's a there there was a Pew poll just last month, and no one reported on this. Like no one. And Pew surveyed attitudes of Muslims uh, in in like 25 countries including in the United States. And not in one of those countries did a majority of Muslims think that Arabs were responsible for 9-11. They couldn't find, uh, not, even, not even U.S. Muslims. They could not find a majority Muslim population in the world that believed Arabs were responsible for 9-11. She is going to get, you know, those memory clips I have from M-E-M-R-I from the Arab world television and Muslim world that I tweet out all the time. She's going to be those clips incarnate and she's going to use the platform of Congress to do it. And, and they'll eventually primary her and get rid of her. But the damage she will do to them between now and then, Todd, I, I think could be pretty substantial. Your thoughts? Well, she is certainly doing damage to them, but I do think, I disagree with Chris, I think uh, Republicans are doing more damage to themselves right now, uh, specifically uh, Trump. It's not It's not so much because uh, he's not keeping his promises, it's just, be, by contrast, he's a wuss. They are the horde of locusts, you know, they are agents of chaos, and so we're not we're we're dealing with apples and oranges. We got to measure them by different standards. By ex, by comparison, he needs to he needs to be Aragorn or John Wayne or something something who can stem that tide. He we were talking uh, in the last couple of weeks about him needing to capitalize on the theme of Americana to so he can uh, have success in the next election. He hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been able to do it for two years uh, to to really capitalize on any themes for the long term. So. Uh, their goal has always been uh, the destruction of uh, Western American version of Western civilization. They are succeeding. And again, we have got to think again. It seems crazy, but we wouldn't have been able to think of what's going on right now, even a year ago. And they keep winning. We have got to acknowledge that unless this is Occam's razor. Unless something changes, they're going to continue to win. Are, are you saying what? Well, you said a lot of things there. I'm trying to boil it down to yeah. one um, to one takeaway. It sounds to me like your concern is that at a time 
that Trump should be raising, particularly coming off the State of the Union address, where he addressed these themes, right? Yes. That since that address, what we've watched him do is cave, um, uh, get criticized by Michelle Malkin and, and Lou Dobbs and, and uh, for, you know, let's just bring, let, let's you know, bring in a bunch of unskilled workers. Uh, Jared Kushner goes on, you know, Middle Eastern television and says, Israel needs open borders. What I hear you saying is, and if I'm wrong, tell me, what I hear you saying is, this is the time where, where if Trump is really going to be the foil to this a year from now, he should be raising his standard to draw these clear distinctions. Yes. And is, and is failing, and, and, and he's not using these moments to do so. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, and and again, our that that's our standard. That's not their standard. Their standard is chaos, and it's you know it's dialed up to eleven. Our standard is law. We are the law and order party. We're, sometimes we're caricatured as that. We but we the people on the right consider themselves that as well. Where is it, Aaron? What do you think? Well, the question was which party is hurting themselves more right now. The answer is yes, but I think you know if you put a gun to my head and force me to make a binary uh, decision. Uh, a binary choice about this. Uh, I would definitely say that uh, the Republicans, as far as pre- presidential politics are uh, are concerned, definitely it's the Republicans. You look at the coalition that Trump was just barely able to put together back in uh, 2016. Uh, again, I would go back. I use this example. It's it's less the the number of people that gave him the the presidency could fit, wouldn't even fill up Arrowhead Stadium, uh, wouldn't even fill up Kinnick Stadium, or would barely fill up Kinnick Stadium. I mean the 77,000 77, people in four states. Yeah. In, in four states. Uh, so if you do, I mean, you you are already on thin ice with that majority, or that, that slim majority anyway. You do anything to depress your actual base, you know, the people who are most likely to vote for you, just think what you're doing to the people who are like, ah, screw it, I'm going to vote for Trump, I don't like Hillary. You're you're playing a dangerous game, and right now, other than some tax cuts um, and the economy doing pretty well, when it comes time to the election, people are going to have to look at you know what have you done for me lately. If he continues on this path, that answer is not going to be affirmative, and so he's playing a very dangerous game here. He and the rest of the Republicans as well playing a very dangerous game. Um, you can only, I think, at this point, play off of the Democrats are just so bad. For so long, you actually have to give people a reason to vote for you in the affirmative, not just vote against somebody else. Um, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, no, I think I think still you do. Um, Now, it could be it could be the Democrats just totally screw uh, the pooch when it comes to presidential politics, uh, you know, coming up in the next year or so. But I still think if you are uh, depressing your own base, uh, you Guys, even the tolerance for Marxism, the tolerance for socialism may not go um, go up, but it's certainly going to stay static. And the tolerance for your act, President Trump, I think it's going to go down. I'm interested, Chris, to get your retort to Todd and Aaron, because my answer would be similar to yours. Um, and. I'm typically the person that's more prone to say Team GOP is is knifing itself. And Todd is typically the person more prone to say they have a huge amount of margin and wiggle room when the other side are communists. So I'm a little thrown for a loop here to see Todd and I switch sides. I didn't see this coming. So I'm going to give you the last word on this. You're, you, you retort Todd and Aaron's pushback on your answer. 
Sure. I, I think the big thing is the Democrats are not going to be running on their policies. They're going to be running on in the intersectionality wars. They're going to be running on President Trump's racist, to sexism, anti-Semite. And what I think they proved this week is they're not going to be able to do that because they're, they're just so shameless themselves and they're, they're just so hypocritical themselves. They couldn't even condemn blatant anti-Semitism. Then they're going to turn around and say Donald Trump, the grandfather of Jewish children, the father of a Jewish convert, is an anti-Semite and a racist and a bigot and that's why he's got to go. And people, the American people are going to understand that they're not just talking about Trump. They're talking about them. It's going to be the same sort of de the deplorables. Uh, the Democrats hate the deplorables. We're going to stand for a better country. Meanwhile, we're going to be hypocrites doing it. And President Trump's not going to let him do it. You saw him this morning at a press conference with the reporters. He said, look, the Democratic Party has become the anti-Israel party. They've become the anti-Jewish party. He said that. He's not like other Republicans. He's not just going to let them get away with their hypocrisy. He's that. going to call yeah. them that and yeah. that every single day. And so uh, when it becomes an election of personalities, typically we, we know Democrats win this, but Donald Trump doesn't act like other Republicans in that scenario. He's just he's always going to go lower. He's always going to grab the low hanging fruit. He's always going to be on the attack, on the attack, on the attack. And I don't think the Democrats are going to be able to stand up to that. And the policies that they are going to push are going to be crazy socialist policies that people don't actually support. Um, so I, I just I, I don't think Trump is guaranteed uh, to beat this thing. It's going to be a tough race no matter how you slice it because it's unpopular. He's just so unpopular. But I, I don't think the Democrats are offering a popular alternative to him right now. Let's get to the exit question. A ye uh, January of 2021. Let's fast forward. So after the primaries, after the next general election cycle, when we get when when government comes back after the 2020 election, who is more likely to still be in office, Ilhan Omar or Donald Trump? Todd, Omar. Wow. I'm at that. You know, when 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 you watch the NFL scouting combine and a guy that you watched his tape and you weren't impressed, and then he goes out there and like blows up the underwear Olympics, and you hear the scouts on the NFL Network say. You know, I'm gonna have to go back and watch his game tape. Maybe I missed something, right? Okay. Having Todd get to the right of me on pessimism oh, is making yeah. me doubt my own analysis. I'm gonna be honest about that. Aaron, what do you Single think? Single tear. <laughs> Aaron, what do you think? Uh, it's Omar. Wow. Because I agree with you, Chris, but your I, I, your answer is gonna be Trump, right? No, it's gonna be Elon Omar, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> 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 Wow. Yeah. And I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why she's more likely than Trump to win a re-election. It's because of the community that she represents. And this actually speaks to a larger point that Republicans should be talking about, and I haven't seen them bring up yet. When the Democrats are making excuses for Ilhan Omar's comments, part of one of the things that he said is, well, you know, she just comes from a different culture where it's, it's more appropriate to say those sorts of things. It's not appropriate here for America. Yeah, they, ba they basically so undermine their own multicultural argument right. when they say that. But, yeah. Yeah, and the community that she represents is a Somali refugee community. So that, but the point is, the culture of that community is such that they they're anti-Semitic. They come from a foreign country, yep. and that uh, we have immigration levels that don't really. Uh, uh, what's the word that I think Trump wanted to do extreme vetting. We don't vet for those kind of cultural differences and we don't have a functioning program of American assimilation to teach people that, Hey, anti-Semitism is wrong. So you're importing people from all over the world who hold these deeply set cultural beliefs who aren't getting rid of them. Like Americans used to get rid of them because we don't have a functioning assimilation system. And she represents that community. So that community she represents is totally fine with the comments that she said. They knew who she was. Representative of what what they are themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I just, even if you primary challenge her, they don't care, Steve. Yep. They, they don't care that she says all these things. In mm -hmm. fact, they agree with her.
So I just think she's definitely going to get reelected in that community, which used to be represented, by the way, by Keith Ellison, another anti-Semite. And uh, when you compare that base that she has in that heavily Democratic district to where Trump has to do to get win re-election in 2020, she's got an easier time with it. Issue two. Yeah, this is not what an emergent national emergency looks like. Not at all. It's time for Random Stats with Aaron. 76,325, the number of total illegal aliens and inadmissible aliens apprehended at and between points of entry in the month of February. That's the highest number for a single month since April of 2008. 916,000, the annual pace of February's border flow, if this continues. Yeah, that's right. Nearly a million people will enter this country illegally this year if this pace continues. 40,325, a record number of family units apprehensions in February. That beats the record we set in December of 2018 by a whopping 26%. 136,150, the number of family units apprehended between the points of entry for the first five months of fiscal year 2019. This far surpasses the number for any previous full year. 165,568, the number of family units apprehended between points of entry since a liberal judge ruled last July that all parents or adults brought with children must be released with the children. 2,023%. The percentage increase in monthly family unit apprehensions since the low of the quote-unquote Trump effect in April 2017 through February 2019. Yes, that's a 2,023% increase. 311%, the percentage increase in family units apprehended by the Border Patrol for the first five months of this fiscal year over the first five months of last fiscal year. 97%, the total percentage increase in all illegal alien apprehensions for the first five months of this year over the first five months of last fiscal year. 1,689%, the increase in family units apprehended in the El Paso sector for the first five months of fiscal year 2019 over the same period last year. 70. Number of large groups defined as 100 or more coming in at once to surrender to border agents and shutting down their resources. 31,000. The number of projected aliens taken to American hospitals by the end of this year, if the current pace holds, as compared to 12,000 last year. 57,000. The number of man-hours Border Patrol had to spend with aliens in our hospitals just since December 22nd. That seems bad. Maybe someone should declare a a national emergency on the border. And that's Random Numbers with Aaron, powered by our prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz. First question, Todd, I'll go to you. Do you have any sense at all that our government is behaving as if this is a national emergency? Because those those numbers look awful emergency-y to me. What do you think? I uh, know, and one way I know for certain is the press isn't talking about this right now because they'd be lighting all of our hair on fire if Trump was actually treating this like a national emergency because we would be doing, Steve, what you said must happen, that they they need to see shovels in the ground, earth movers, whatever, they, they, and there would be cameras down there. Well, and this, there would, this furthers the point you made in the last segment. They're blowing their opportunity. Is yeah, what you're saying. yeah, and so and there's no there's no Trump telling a a, a court from District Six 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 of Babylon. To, you know what? It's time I tell you to stick it where the sun don't shine. We're deporting like, you next. Yeah, yeah. So we're seeing none of that. The press is fine to go 
be hysterical about other things, that should tell you everything you need to know. So, so Chris, because you know the way my mind works, man. I'm doing nine things while we're doing this show, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm I, as we've been doing this, and as I was listening to those stats, I'm putting my mind is going through where Todd and Aaron are coming from, and am I missing something? And this came to my mind while I was doing it, that math in my own head. Chris, can you explain to me why the White House and Fox News, but I repeat myself, why the White House and Fox News were utterly obsessed with this marauding caravan of migrants prior to the election? When these that were in, in other countries had not yet actually made it here. When these numbers of what's happening right now in our country are far beyond with that migrant caravan before the election represented. I get politicizing the migrant caravan to make your point. Why wouldn't you be all over this right now? Why wouldn't Fox vis-a-vis the Trump white house, why wouldn't it be the border emergency network right now? Help me understand that, Chris. Well, uh, I think a caravan, you know, one big group of people moving at the same time is really, really easy to focus in on for the media. And it's something that's more broader, uh, like this rampant numbers of illegal immigrants coming to the country. And what's actually going on in the border is these people are coming as family units and they're claiming asylum and they're following asylum laws to get into the country. And all the immigration professionals that you talked about, all the people on the border who are processing these claims, they know that all these illegal immigrants are committing fraud, or at least most of them are. Uh, they're just lying. They're saying, oh, they get, they get caught. And they say, oh, yeah, I have a credible fear and I'm seeking asylum. And they're called, they're released. They're told, okay, come back to this court date. We'll process your asylum claim. You never see him again. It's difficult to put on a camera. Uh, it, it, it's something that's become the, such the norm on the border, I think, that the media in particular, they just don't, don't care about it. And so uh, if you take a look at what the president is doing, you look at a Daily Call report that just came out about this. After declaring the national emergency order, President Trump, according to the Daily Caller and according to an official who spoke to them about this, has about half of the wall funded right now. Uh, of the some 700 some miles he's got, he's got about 445 miles ready to go with the funding if the courts don't strike down his national emergency order. So it's not like the administration's not doing anything. They've got the resources they need, and this is government. It just takes time to get stuff moving. But the question I would ask is why aren't they make, being more public? Like you guys are saying, why aren't they putting cameras on the border? Why aren't they telling the stories of right. people being hurt by illegal immigration? Why aren't they making this more of a media-focused issue? And uh, part Don't of Don't you find this, Chris, a trial run? I mean, if Trump is going to be the beneficiary of what the Democrats are like you and I— we're making the case in the last segment isn't what's happening at the border right now a trial run for how they would pull that off in an election a year from now mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think so and i'm uh, pretty underwhelmed by their efforts chris yeah and that, I, I don't have an answer for you for why okay. they're not making this more of an issue i i think you know trump's been busy with the the north korea talks he's been doing that he's been oh, trying yeah, to let's, be let's do that again because yeah. that, that, that was I just got my sperm count back after watching that last week. So, uh, let's get to the exit question here. And Aaron, I know I kind of sold you short. Yeah, so come on, man. Yeah, we're running I really short. I wanted time. to talk about uh, how Donald Trump is not building the wall, or is, or maybe not. I, I, I thought you no kind emergency. of spoke I mean, your piece with all those stats. But spo- spent three minutes talking about the best stats in the world. Exit question: If Trump's handling of this border crisis were an eagle song, which eagle song would it be? I can't tell you why. Take it to the limit. Already gone. Life in the fast lane. Todd. Normally, I do read all four before I choose. 
rock solid certitude it's number one. You just couldn't get past. I can't tell no, you why. It was so perfect. It's because it, it's inexplicable why this isn't the singular whole yeah. focus of their administration. I might right chant enjoy you for the rest of time, and no matter what band you bring up, I just gonna say I can't tell you why about Trump things. What do you think, Chris? Uh, I think it's leaning towards already gone. Uh, part of the problem is Trump has been so focused on the wall for so, such a long time. And the wall really doesn't matter anymore because you can get around a wall with an asylum claim. Yeah. And so unless he's making Congress reform those immigration laws, he, there's really nothing he can do to stop them from doing that uh, unless he wants to stand up to the courts. What do you think, Aaron? Which one? I really want to shan enjoy you right now because I think there's an obvious one you left off, but I won't, and I'll go with the first one. I can't tell you why. What do you think is the obvious one I left off? Uh, take it easy because nobody. I seems almost had to be, that on there. Nobody seems to be doing I, anything. I, I, I almost had that on there. I kind of thought take it easy and already gone kind of might be the same one, but sure. I, I almost had take yeah. it easy on there. Yeah, I almost what, did. What about uh, what about lion eyes? I you know what I almost had that one on there too. Okay. Um, How about, did we uh, know the Eagles were always writing about the soul yeah. of Donald Trump? Um, I I don't understand why Fox is not. There's a there's an emergency at the border network. It makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, there's a, there's several reasons why that would be the case, and and all of them are bad. We'll come back. We'll look at the not too distant future and the immediate future. I think I just said the same thing. Next, right here, live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Homeowners, beware. A data breach just exposed 24 million of you to home title fraud, a crime that could cost you your home. Because if you've got a mortgage refi or HELOC through a major bank that was breached this way, uh, it puts you at risk of losing every dollar of equity in the house. The scammers now have what they need to steal your home's title. Well, Steve, I have identity theft protection. Uh, yes, you may indeed have that. But, you know, interesting uh, email I got from uh, one of our uh, listeners recently. She sent us a story from North Carolina where this actually has happened. What we've been warning you about is actually in the news right there. Uh, there's a there's a family. Actually, it's from Pennsylvania. It's a Pennsylvania family that keeps fighting um, because a stranger from North Carolina has hijacked their home's title and keeps listing it for sale. And uh, this was a story that uh, WPXI uh, in Pennsylvania uh, was highlighting back on uh, February the 27th, so just a couple of weeks ago. All right, so this is what we mean when identity theft protection won't protect you. And you should have identity theft protection, but even if they can't steal your identity, they can still claim it in other ways because now they may have a checking account number, a, a last four digits of a social security number, a, maid, a maiden name, a middle initial. You know, the kinds of things that you use to verify your identity online, they now have those things. They go to your county recorder accessor site where your home's title is located nowadays. They don't have to go to a hall of records anymore. And they have the identifying information Information to say, hey, yes, I'm you. They forge a signature, and now they get to claim that home. They get to try and liquidate that equity, maybe take out a HELOC, and then stick you with the payments. Don't let that happen to you. 
especially when for just pennies a day, our friends at Home Title Lock will prevent it from happening. And who knows, you might already be a victim. Find out with a free title scan and report at HomeTitleLock.com. That's normally a $100 value, but it's free today to our family at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to issue three. Will we ever put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Last week's events coming out of CPAC illustrated once more the great divide in the Republican or not Democrat side of the aisle. On the one hand, there's flag-hugging President Trump and his adoring throngs of supporters, some of which are actually in control of institutions like the Republican National Committee. And on the other hand, there's the thumb-sucking conservative smart set who really aren't conservative at all. I'm talking about the controversy-turned-urination contest surrounding the bulwark. That's the publication, which is all the bad parts of the Weekly Standard, reborn into a sneering, condescending package. They sent a pro-abortion reporter by the name of Molly Young Fast to cover CPAC, who, of course, made fun of everything from Trump hugging the flag to a pro-life speaker. What's interesting about this story, of course, is both the reporter and the publication she represents and Trump's adoring throngs are supposed to belong to the same Republican right-of-center orbit, but it's clear there's a divide within what's left of America that's not going to be bridged anytime soon. So, Chris, let me start with you. Do, do you think this rift will be healed when Trump goes away? Why or why not? Uh, no, uh, th- that's not how politics works. Uh, political coalitions are not static. They're, they're dynamic. They change over time. Uh, so what we're seeing in America right now, and it feels weird because we're living through it, but we've seen this a bunch of times before in the past, not just in American history, but in world history writ large, is coalitions form and they go away and they form and they go away and they tend to be certain, uh, centered around uh, personalities or people, uh, statesmen who influence things, right? Now, I'm not saying that Trump rises to the level of the statesman, but I'm saying that people are called Reaganites for a reason. People are called Burkeans for a reason. People are called Stalinists for a reason. These coalitions tend to form and go away based on one person articulating uh, a set of beliefs or policies that uh, speak to a large group of people who, formed a, uh, to, who come together and organize to form a political coalition. And so what Trump did in 2016, in my estimation, is he formed a new political coalition that the old political coalition, the old guard, the kind of three stools of Reaganism, you've got the uh, the neoconservative types and the foreign policy are really staunch anti-communists, and you've got the deficit hawks and the more libertarian types or fiscal conservatives. And you've got the social conservatives who maybe don't care about the other two issues as much, but they're really pro-life, they're pro-marriage, and they want to defend those things. Reagan put those three together, and after the Soviet Union fell, they kind of just drifted apart. And uh, the social conservatives really get the short end of the stick. And the point is that coalition doesn't exist anymore. So CPAC, as you understood it for the last 30 years, uh, as this kind of meeting of those three branches, the conservative movement is gone. It's not coming back. So what conservatives have to figure out what's next is how do we reorganize the movement in terms of the circumstances and the political realities that are facing real Americans? We can't just be talking about abstractions of, oh, you know, we, uh, we really support the Constitution and we need to have limited government and that the those platitudes don't speak to people. You want to meet people, you have to meet them where they are. What are the policies that we're going to enact that actually help Americans as they need help today? And uh, that doesn't mean you abandon your principles, but it means you have to figure out a way to articulate them to build a movement. The movement of the Republican Party has changed. Now, whether conservatives can operate within that movement, I don't know. Or operate in the party, I should say. Uh, it, it's not what it used to be. 
the circumstances are different. Things are changing, and we have to deal with that. Okay. Todd? Yeah, there's nothing to heal. There, there's nothing to go back to. That's um, This is where Tucker Carlson comes in, yes. uh, why the conversation he started is so valuable, and why um, the, the, those who so in such knee-jerk fashion uh, went after him, uh, and these are voices who are— are going to be part of the conservative uh, conversation, whatever it looks like for the next 10 years, barring some uh, disaster, why it was so disappointing. They're, they're so locked in to their own uh, groupthink, what, Twitter silos, cocktail party silos. I don't know. You, you can see those things at a point where we should be doing exactly what Chris is talking about. You can see uh, many conservative wings getting more ossified in just – saying the right word and they do it really great in the white paper column they just put out there but there really is no there there in terms of what steve always talks about people we're not dealing with constructs we're dealing with actual human souls and you've got to touch those motivate those and make them want to believe in you aaron you get the last word yeah there's no putting this back together uh, all the king's men's and men and all the king's horses couldn't put humpty back together again or however the the end of that poem little poem goes um because once there is a fall there always seems to be a finality the only thing binding what's left of america together is the fact that it's what's left of america that's about the only thing hmm. it seems um that most of not Marxism has in common. We're just not those guys. That's the best hope for winning elections, actually. At um, you know, at least we're we're not the other, uh, as we talked about in the first segment. But uh, as far as actually putting together a Republican coalition, mm-hmm. Republican doesn't mean anything. Conservative doesn't mean anything anymore. And so it's just impossible. So there's going to have to be something completely new born out of this ass out of the ashes. I think the interesting and maybe uh, curious thing will be. Who who that will be? Who will win that initial uh, push for for power for you know uh, attracting the most people to actually start some sort of a wedge coalition? I think the best thing that we could maybe hope for uh, is what Nigel Farage did in the UK for over a decade, pushed for the UK Independence Party, and very slowly but surely he used his party as a wedge. And then they had they had a when you are a wedge, especially in, in a Senate like we have, when you're a wedge party, you have a great deal of power because the other two parties, they need your three, four, maybe five votes. So that's I think that's maybe going to be the best path. And if I could add one more thing, the answer that, that Chris just um, gave is the reason why I simultaneously have a great deal of respect for him and also hate him, because I think that's an illustration of why my mom wishes that he were her son. So. <laughs> Exit question. Which Republican do you think is best positioned to either pick up the pieces or take the baton once the Trump era ends? Todd. Rand Paul. Chris Pandolfo. There's only one man in America for the job. The self-described Prince of Light and Hope, the son of a mailman, John Kasich. (laughs) Why, you ask? Because there's no one in America who could unite us all in hating that sanctimonious jerk. Imagine if he was president. Every single day, Republicans just couldn't tolerate him as he betrays us over and over again. Democrats hate him because he has an R next to his name. All right, we've talked too much. Enough of the casing. (laughs) Aaron, enough. Uh, I'm I'm saying Rand Paul as well. That was the first name that popped into my head. I I think he has no chance. So do I, but don't think anybody has a chance. I mean, zero negative integers chance of being that person, actually. In, in, In terms of who's actually positioned to be president, Nikki Haley is pretty much. There you go. Yeah, she would be high on my list. 
but I think he has no chance. I don't. I think the person who does this can't have can't be have having been can't have been declared. You don't have to be a Trump fluffer, but but you can't be a Trump obstructor. And I think Rand Paul has has crossed that line in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Issue four: intersectionality madness. It's time for the Intersectionality Madness Selection Show. Choosing the new champion of marginalized people groups everywhere. Brought to you by the Association of Nationwide Trusted Intersectional Creatures Helping Rare Individuals Self-Actualize Today. And by Arnold's Arsenic Emporium. And now, The Bracket. Intersectionality Madness is made up of 16 people groups split into two eight-group regions. Gog and Magog. We'll start nice. in the Gog region. And the number one overall seed in the Gog region is Muslim atheist pansexual vegan lizard people. They'll be taking on the eight seed women. Going down to the number two seed in the Gog region, undocumented immigrants. They'll be taking on the seven seed atheists. Nice. The three seed trannies will be taking on the number six seed Native Americans. And finally, the four-seed and the Gog region lesbians will be taking on the five-seed weight-challenged progressive women. So that's the Gog region. Moving on to the Magog region, the number one seed is black male-to-female transsexual. They'll be taking on the number eight-seed Lindsey Graham. The number two-seed in the Magog region, Muslims. They'll be taking on the seven-seed black Democrat. The number three seed, anything following the T and the LGBTQ, etc. They'll be taking on the six-seeded, nice. any color other than white. The number four seed is the gays, and they'll be taking on the fifth-seeded black feminists. And for your information, the last four out in intersectionality madness, non-Democrat black men... Jews, the dynamic duo of Sean King and Rachel Dolezal, oh. and white men. And that is Intersectionality Madness choosing a new champion of marginalized people groups everywhere. We're going to get in so much trouble for this. <laughs> <laughs> the best news of my, I don't know why this came to mind, but the best part of my three-year contract extension is there's a six-month buyout. That's my... I don't know why I hadn't thought about that in the last few months, but suddenly in the last five minutes, yeah, that that just popped into my head. I'm not really sure how Aaron inspired that. Um, wow! Remember when I said to Aaron, you know, I, I'm I'm taking the training wheels off. I mean, you, you've proven yourself. You can just kind of, you know, yeah. spread your wings and fly on those a little bit. Remember when I did that? Yeah, don't just don't don't, don't let me just I trust you. Go do what you don't do. don't don't let me do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let me do that again. So let's put the bracket back up there, shall we? Um, my favorite is the third seed in Magog. Anything following the Q in LGBTQ. I think that is freaking genius. All right. I mean, this whole thing, this whole thing is genius. I mean, making women the eighth, the lowest seed, that's that. That preaches on 17. That's some, you, if America, if you're looking for four dimensional chess, that right there is your four dimensional chess. I mean, that, that, Todd, I thought you had it earlier this week when you called Georgetown a Jesuit school and not a Catholic school, but I kind of feel like Aaron just came over the top rope on you right there hey. in terms of, 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 of subtle g- genius. 
social commentary right there. Well, uh, but I'm a very stable genius. You mispronounced stable, but go ahead. Thank you. But the simple truth of this is that this isn't even farcical. We just a ruling from Iowa and uh, Steve time to get up the uh, court uh, judge throwing out uh, machinery going again unanimously unanimously ruled here in Iowa, the state Supreme Court, uh, that Medicaid now needs to pay for sex change operations. This is where we live, man. I mean, this is where we live. This is why this is why pagans don't like slippery slope arguments that are undefeated. We're they com- never lose. You're commenting in real time on real news. Oh, I mean, Omar has just dominated Twitter for the last uh, 48 hours, and she will continue to do so uh, in the future. So uh, I, this this is fun, and having some fun along these lines keeps us sane. But this, this, we, Aaron doesn't have to reach. He, You know what? He probably knocked this out in two minutes because he no, just opened it. It was really fast. <laughs> Because you just you don't have to think what what might happen in the future. It's all happening right now in your backyard, and your kids are targets. Mm. I mean, listen. The new woke is Obama is Ilian Omar. Obama murdered too many Muslims with drone strikes. That's the, that's that's woke now. That is that is where that is that's that's where we are. Let's get to our predictions. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you as our guest. Your prediction. Oh, first off, all right. Well, I said this earlier in our our company chat room, uh, so I'll say it again to make it official. I think Bernie Sanders is probably the front runner for the Democratic nomination, and uh, he's the candidate to beat right now. So uh, I'm predicting that he makes it to the end, and uh, who, whoever is like the last candidate with him is going to be a slugfest. I, I won't say he'll win the nomination for sure, but I will say he is a top two finisher. Wow. Even though Gallup said last week that the number one and two things America doesn't want in a presidential candidate is an old white guy who's a socialist. <laughs> well, that's what America wants. It's not what the Democratic Party wants. Right. Now that, zing, that'll preach right there. Aaron, your prediction. Um, two quick uh, two quick predict- predictions since one of them is not good enough. Uh, one, uh, Fran McCaffrey <laughs> will get a, a contract extension be- before the end of the month um, from for Iowa basketball. And then the second prediction is, and I'm actually somewhat serious about this, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in order to avoid these stories about her finan- campaign, alleged campaign finance uh, violations, uh, at some point in the future will identify, uh, openly identify as bisexual. Yeah. I I can't even view that as parody. Yeah. I, I just, I can't. That's why it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah on to Todd. the heading of uh, David Duke endorsing uh, Ilan Omar. Uh, listen. <laughs> he did. No, that happened. Yeah. yeah he said happened. yesterday she was, quote, the most important member of Congress. See. Dude, game recognized game, yeah. bro. And so game this recognized is how you need, game. This is how you need to think about things. We, we, we talked about soccer a couple of days ago, but arguably, and I think Steve and Aaron might agree with it, arguably the most influential and popular American sport Sport, team sport for women is the women's national soccer team. And they just did this thing where they, uh, they on the back of their uniforms, instead of wearing their own name, they put a, a woman of influence in their lives. Well, within the next five years, uh, it, it's going to have a full transgender uh, comeuppance. And there's going to be a man who feels pretty trying out for the U.S. women's soccer team. And that team, by the way, to get ready for the World Cup, it practices against elite high school boys teams because – adult men they can't compete against and so 
they're going to have to deal with basically getting endorsed by David Duke. Hey, Gino Ariema at UConn used to have you know greatest women's coach of all time. He coached he, his teams would practice against the best um, you, you know men uh, intramural teams on yeah. campus at UConn. They yeah. weren't good enough to make college, but still yeah. had some game. Yeah, that exactly. My prediction, I'm changing it up actually from what I guys from what I sent you guys because something I read last night. So last night, Warner Brothers. Um, on the eve of Captain Marvel coming out, Warner Brothers lifted the embargo against uh, the reviews for Shazam. And they held uh, ahead of their scheduled press junket because the movie doesn't come out till, for another full month. For non-media people, embargoes mean you can't par- publish this yes. until this point or yes. we say so, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. So they actually held, aside from their press junket, they held a secret screening for a bunch of members of the media. And I'm talking like entertainment tonight. This wasn't just like, you know, some, you know, uh, blogger fanboy.com mm-hmm. dude. They held a separate screening for these people and told them, though, you have to embargo your reviews. And then last night on the eve of Captain Marvel's release, they they lifted the embargo and told the folks they could come out with their reviews. Wow. And the reviews were off the chain glowing. Yep. Uh, off sense. the chain glowing. Uh, say, saying that whatever you think you're watching in the trailers, it does have some of that big charm. It's kind of big as a superhero movie. Yeah. But it's so much more and so much better than that. And I'm going to predict that this is the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes that DC has put out yet. And it won't even be close based on that kind of move. So that's that's my new prediction. Chris, good to see you. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Take care. Good to see you guys, too. Thanks Come for back with on. Hour 2 next. Stay tuned. with hour two of the steve day show live and on demand here on the blaze i am steve dace todd and inner here with me as well you can join us via the stevedace.com inbox steve at stevedace.com is the email address you can like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve day show last name is d-e-a-c-e we'll get to some of your feedback coming up uh, a little bit later on this hour on a feedback friday hey when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned have you ever you have itchy ears, ear pain, maybe that plugged up feeling. Are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves? You know, this is the winner that just won't go away. So if 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 that's you, if you have any of those symptoms whatsoever, uh, check out uh, WaxRx. Now you can get a professional ear cleaning, but the same results you'd get at a doctor's office, but less expensive and in the comfort and convenience of your own home and without a prescription. WaxRx uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then will soothe that ear with a pH condition formula. Again, that sounds like what you'd have done for you professionally at the doctor's office. That's because it is, except now you can do it yourself uh, in the comfort and convenience of your own home. And if you use offer code radio when you go to the website, you get free shipping. So the website, usewaxrx.com. That's right. Use is in the is in the name. Usewaxrx.com. That's the website. Offer code radio uh, at checkout for free shipping at usewaxrx.com. Let's get to today's Truth Bomb brought to you by my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies. Conservatives believe to our own demise. And if you won't buy this book on my recommendation, I can get why you wouldn't trust me. How about Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Dan Bongino? Those are all people by every metric you have proven you like more than me. So trust them.
because they've all been kind enough to endorse the book. If you haven't gotten your copy yet, you can get to one right now at Amazon.com. If you have and you read it and you like it, please consider leaving us a five-star review. So in light of the conversation we had yesterday with uh, an old uh, acquaintance of mine, Ben Bruns, coming in here and essentially asking us the questions, turning the tables on us uh, from a more liberal point of view, I thought in honor of that, we would go back to almost this moment three years ago when a nefarious plot was uh, released at CPAC in 2016. And I had an atheist grab me in the hallway who listened uh, to our show at the time and was interested in having a back and forth on where we could find any common ground. Uh, This is about 10 minutes. Listen to this. Is Steve Dace, uh, conservative contributor uh, out of Des Moines, yep. correct? Uh, I'm curious, uh, part of why we're here as American Atheists is to appeal to the 56 million atheist voters out there, especially the conservative ones. Why do you feel it's important that conservative atheists get involved in, in the political race, especially now when it's down to three candidates on the Republican side? Three or four, three or four with Kasich. Well, I think it's important that anybody um, that cares about the future of their country uh, gets involved, uh, that, that wants to see the country move off of the the slouch towards socialism or statism that we are currently seeing. And one of the chief concerns I have in this race is we're watching values and terms get defined down. And this is always what cults of personality do. Uh, This was done for Obama eight years ago, and it's being done for Donald Trump now. So, for example, what, what you're seeing is what exactly is conservatism? What are you trying to conserve, right? Uh, And and so what's happening with Donald Trump is he's sort of creating this coalition of people, some of whom are serious conservatives and libertarians, but a lot of them are not. They're just people who are mad. They're French Revolution mad. They want to storm the Bastille and burn it down, and God bless them, I have many of those same days myself. But what is the end game? When 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 the tantrum is exhausted, when you have vented, I mean, what is the constructive end game when we're finished with this? And one of the concerns I have with the coalition that Trump is building is it seems as if we're now redefining conservatism to be, well, I'm just some white nationalist, you know, who just, I'm mad that minorities are dominating now, and I want, you know, the white guy's going to be the minority now, and I want us to be back in control, like I'm, like I'm trying to conserve a cultural heritage or some kind of a homeland. I'm not interested in that. Uh, for me, and maybe this is where we might find some common ground, because I'm a Christian, and I wear my, I, I, I got Jesus on my sleeve, my face, um, all over. I got him in my heart, okay, and I'm happy to talk to you about that till the cows come home. But we have to agree at some point. Even Ayn Rand was an atheist, and she hated people like me. Even Ayn Rand agreed some things have to be objectively true. Sure. Some things have to be. Some truth is at least revealed in nature. There must be some order to the chaos, right? Sure. So, and the problem with Trump is his, he's creating a, a, a coalition of chaos. Well, we just want to have our megalomaniac get in there and get back at what the Obama megalomaniac did to us. We want our own version of the Cloward-Piven plan. What we're looking for is conserving objective truths in nature. Now, we may disagree what the origin of those truths are. I I think the origin of those truths are revealed in nature by divine inspiration. You may think they are just a result of natural, naturalistic occurrences. But we have to, we all would agree that there are some things in nature that are revealed to be objectively true, right? Gravity is true. Whether you want to believe you have the right to fly or not, gravity is objectively true. So here's an objective truth. When government removes itself from the shackles of what nature says are its appointed jurisdictions and attempts to adjudicate things and prosecute things uh, or play the role of social justice 
maven outside of those outside of those appointed uh, boundaries tyranny um, and, and zany hijinks always ensue and that's what's happening to our way of life now we have to return to what are the objective markers we are trying to conserve what are those objective markers what are those objective markers a rule of law limited government so that the so that a constitution limits the role of government not the freedom of the individual and then of course we're eventually folks like you and me are going to have an argument about well who determines or what determines what are those objective markers now i believe they are the laws of nature and nature's god but what cannot be argued is that those markers exist and if we don't return to those boundaries then we're going to be the next great civilization to join the scrap heap to history. If you don't mind me adding on that, with the markers, like I had said before, there were a lot of conservative atheists, especially young conservative atheists, that approached our table and said, you know what, I'm a conservative, I really love conservative values and all the markers, I just don't believe in God. How can the conservative movement reconcile that, especially when they're trying to win elections at the local level, the state level, the federal level, do we turn them away, or do we try to embrace them despite the differences in beliefs? Uh, I'm a believer that um, you don't have to agree with me on everything. If you see enough in me, I'm not going to change my principles. Mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to change my theistic view for uh, a single voter. Uh, and whether they disagree with me on what the source of that theistic view, whether they would be a Muslim or a Hindu, or whether they would disagree with me that there is a source for a theistic view at all, whether they'd be an atheist, I'm not going to change that viewpoint because it's actually my theistic view based in a Judeo-Christian tradition that lends me to be a conservative in the first place. So do you feel you cannot be as conservative unless you... Well, let me finish what I was going to okay, say. Sure. On the other hand, if you see what the result of my belief system is, if you think the result of my belief system makes a better way of life for you, then we don't necessarily have to agree on everything. We don't have to go to the same church. We don't have to go to church at all. If you agree that, again, in nature there exist objective things that when human beings live by these objective truths, they are blessed, and when they are not, or when they don't, then they are not. And so I think that's really what I, and, and I'm happy to sit down with anybody that doesn't believe in God. I'll talk to you all night long about that. Because to me, the challenge isn't on my end. If you're trying to say, I'm, for, I'm, a, I'm an atheist conservatism, or I'm an atheist conservative, then the challenge is actually on your end. You're the one that has to answer, therefore, what am I trying to conserve? Why am I trying to conserve these traditions, these values? What is the source of these traditions and these values? Where do they come from? It's much easier to be an atheist is progressive and to simply say well since I don't believe there a universe has a beginning and therefore a creator that's not accountable to anything then we can just progress and evolve until the cows come home on any subject that we want but if you don't agree with me though on the source of your conservatism but you do agree with me on what the end result is then I'm happy to work with you on any causes where we have agreement and then on the causes where we don't we won't. It's sure. just that simple. If you don't mind me asking kind of a gotcha question, I sure. asked Mike Huckabee this, I asked Bob Vanderplatz this. Mm -hmm. Would you rather support a true atheist candidate for any position in government or someone that is considered, quote-unquote, a phony or a fake Christian? One that kind of panders a little bit, doesn't understand it, maybe in the recent... Uh, you know, in the recent situation with the two Corinthians versus the second <laughs> Corinthians, um, which way would you rather lean? I don't believe there's any such thing as a phony Christian. Okay. Uh, I think that 
if, if you are if you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and and to have one uh, you have to have repented of your sins you have to have asked him for forgiveness Donald Trump says he has not asked God for forgiveness he's not a Christian by his own admission you got to know God's word you have to have a, a you have to communicate with God you have to seek maybe you're Catholic and you seek that relationship through the sacraments maybe you're a Protestant and you seek that relationship through sola scriptura maybe you maybe you're a hybrid but that but that but that relationship whether any and that's the same in a human relationship if you're married but you don't seek constant communion and community with your spouse. Is that relationship really sincere? Will it last very long? No, it will not. And that's the same thing when you seek to have a relationship with God. So there's no such thing as a phony Christian. Here's what I would say to an atheist running for office who came to me and said, I don't agree with your theistic worldview, but I agree with you on what the roles of government ought to be. And this is a and I would answer your question with this question. Our system of government, what sets us apart from every other experiment in human freedom, is the notion of unalienable rights. The idea that rights are pre-existent in nature, the laws of nature and nature's God that Jefferson wrote about. So you have to make, you have to convince me as a voter, you have to convince me that even though you don't believe in God, you are still willing to defend my God-given rights. And so I think, I always believe that the impetus to make the case is always on the candidate, because he's the one applying for the job, whether he's a Christian or a, 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 some form of secular progressive, Republican, Democrat, what have you. When you're applying for the job, the, the, the burden of proof is always on you. We're the voters, we're the bosses, we're the ones doing the job interview. So it's up to you then as an atheist to convince me that even though you don't believe in God, you're actually willing to protect my God-given rights. And I think that's a case that an atheist candidate would have to make. So that's a conversation I had three years ago. Uh, you can find that full clip up on YouTube if you search for it. But uh, that's where an atheist cornered me in the hallway at CPAC and said, hey, I'm an atheist. Uh, are you willing to talk to me? I'm like, I finally found someone I actually really want to talk to. Yeah, I was, yeah I'm, yes. <laughs> yes, Ouch. I'm happy to do that. That's that's a slight, you know. Going to need some aloe to apply to yeah, that burn. That, that's yeah. a slight exaggeration. But no, I, those are the, I, I got into this line of work for that conversation. Conversations like that are why I got into this line of work. So, and conversations like we had yesterday with Ben Bruns, that's, that, that's originally why I got in there. And yeah, when we did this, keep in mind, we were in the heart of the primary last year. So there was a lot of talk about, you know, vetting Trump and his belief system. We hadn't even gotten to the Wisconsin primary yet where Cruz supposedly had the big win that was the turning point in the primary. And then he was out of the race literally 30 days later. So, I mean, we were really in the throes of this. That's why there was a lot of that kind of conversation at that time uh, during CPAC. And it was a it was an uneasy CPAC that year because you had this really heated debate and divide going on at that time. And then the whole conversation was happening at that time. I know I was ha talking to people about it at that time as a member of the Cruz campaign. Right, should there be a uni unity ticket between Rubio and Cruz, you know, or they unite, you know, to oppose Trump, et cetera. But still a lot of the larger themes that we addressed with that uh, atheist gentleman at that time are still very prevalent in what we talk about today. Your thoughts, Todd, going back and listening to that again. Well, it's um, certainly, uh, the three years between what we saw yesterday on this uh, show in your conversation, 
uh, and the conversation uh, you just saw there should show that this is uh, genuine. It's something uh, Steve's been doing uh, for a long time and uh, does well. Uh, one of the one of the true tests of any of our metal, regardless of whether you're a conservative or not, are, are you really, really willing to sit down in the arena? of ideas and have them be tested. Iron sharpens iron, as Steve always said. Uh, if you're not willing to do this on any level, um, you're part of the problem, whatever the problem is. You have to be willing to uh, engage. And, and the onus is on us all the more as Christians, not just because of the explicit nature of our test testimony but implicit what's implicit in there is our, is our willingness to be vulnerable it's not always going to go well in the moment now that that went well largely be partially because that guy was willing to put himself on camera and not everybody who's willing to put himself on camera is is crazy train like many are today mm -hmm. when they try to make something go viral he was civil but when there's no camera and it's just he, uh, you and several other people, and you might be in the minority, it can get ugly pretty fast. Um, but are you planting the seeds? Are you planting the seeds that will grow? Maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but somewhere down the road. It's uh, you, you, There's so much more in what you just watched and what you just saw yesterday than the specifics of the argument. Those are vital, but it, it, it's, it's also about just being in the arena, if you aren't willing to do on any level what Steve did there, um, you really are without excuse for the complaints that you have. There's, you know, you feed the sheep and you shoot the wolves. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. Okay. And the difference in that conversation or the one we had yesterday with Ben is, and, 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 and I, I went back and looked, that was actually my, I think my last cable news appearance is when I just walked off the set on HLN. Uh, yeah. So maybe I've maybe I've just been corporately blacklisted. Although I have been called, I should say that. I've forgotten. I have I have been called a few times by networks. I just the topics they wanted me to address yeah. essentially would put me in the position of is, are you a racist or yeah. really a racist? Okay. And and the difference is if I don't even remember the name of the gentleman from the Daily Beast that they had me on with that day at HLN. But if he had said to me, Steve, I I am a progressive and I'm struggling to understand why you wanting the government to uh, prosecute laws based on your morality is any different than a Muslim who seeks to do the same thing with Sharia law. If he had asked me that question, do you think I would have walked off the set? No. No. I'm certain of it. You no. would have been, hey, now no. we're getting serious. Yeah, yes. Now, this. This why I'm, now we're doing something. I, can't, I got on this set, so you would ask me questions like this. That's not what he said. What he said was, well, you believe in a Christian form of Sharia law. So, Steve, what's the difference between a sheep and a wolf? A sheep doesn't know. A wolf doesn't want to right. know. That's the difference. The sheep don't know. The wolf doesn't want to know. And the wolf will show you he doesn't want to know by his actions, by the premise he addresses comments and questions from. You will know the difference, okay, between lack of faith and unbelief, because the Bible draws that distinction. All right, a lack of faith, again, that would be a sheep. An unbeliever is, uh, that's someone that has, that's shake the dust off your sandals and move on. Time to move on time. That atheist gentleman was asking me all the right questions and he was challenging my viewpoint. And, it, and let me, can I say this too? Well, yeah, he also had a really nice tone. I don't care. 
the guy at the Daily Beast wasn't didn't have a you know it wasn't his tone that drove me off. There's no way of saying you know I think it's kind of dandy that you believe in Christian Sharia law. Is there a really is there a nice tone nice way to say something like that? No, no. All right, so you can take your tone and shove it. Okay, so dispense with that argument. The effeminate masses while you're at it. Okay, stick that in the same jar where your man parts are stored. That has that has nothing to do with anything. Okay, um, the, the the you want to know why we put Ben on the show and why he accepted, and you want to know why other people that might agree with some of Ben's viewpoints don't accept when we ask them. Look at the first question. Go back if you missed that podcast yesterday. What was the first question that Ben asked me about? Uh, are people basically good basically or basically good. bad? And he and he said, you know, I've been I have I, that the, you this came up at our last conversation, and I've I've been thinking about it. Do you know when our last conversation was? Christmas 2017. So literally for more than a year. You know, when he's seen me come up in the news or seen my work on his Twitter feed, he's been thinking about that. When you come in here asking me, is human, because you want, you want to know the truth? Here's, here's a truth bomb. Every single debate we have in our culture is not about who God is. It's about who we are. We have it backwards. Let me rephrase that. Every debate we are having in our culture today isn't about who God is. It's about who we are. Because see, until we come to grips with who we really are, we are incapable of acknowledging who God really is. Let me repeat that too. Until we come to grips with who we really are, we are incapable of acknowledging who God really is. Because if we don't believe we are fallen, you want to know the difference between the culture of the founding father's time in the culture of ours, you had hedonists like Ben Franklin. You had people that would be sort of your Ayn Rands of that era, like Thomas Paine. You had your Jesus freaks like Benjamin Rush and Patrick Henry. You had learned skeptics like Thomas Jefferson. Sounds a little bit like the era we yeah. live in today, doesn't it? Sounds a little like that, doesn't it? Huh. How'd they all come together to form this thing based on God-given rights? How'd they do that? Because, see, in their day and age, they weren't debating the nature of man. They debated the nature of God. Is God a kid with an anthill like a deist thought? Where he's just an observer, you know, in a, in a magnifying glass, watching us scurry about. Is God intimately involved in the affairs of men? Is God the, the adjudicator, governor of the universe, as James Madison said? The debate that they had amongst each other was the nature of God, not the nature of man. Look at the language. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are, what's the next word? Created, created which means there must therefore be a what? Creator. Creator. They call upon divine providence for accountability, for aid. They're not debating the nature of man. They didn't sit around thinking, you know, when are we going to be, when, how do we perfect this species? That's not what they did. They debated with each other the nature of God. That was the debate. By debating the nature of God, they are putting the focus on whom? Who's the focus on? God. And the focus is therefore not on whom? 
them them he must i must decrease so he can increase does that sound familiar to you a little bit what did i say to ben yesterday when when he talked about when we come to people's aid and i pointed out that often happens when when does that often happen when the attention is off of us and on the fact that there's things out there bigger than one another that's what prompts us to act altruistically when we stop looking in the mirror and say, I will ascend, I will be like the Most High, how great thou art. That's the difference. We are debating the nature of man. We are involved in a philosophical self-pleasuring circle. We are literally doing, and we do this just as much on the right, by the way. I promise you, if you ask Rush Limbaugh, is human nature basically good? I promise you he's going to give an answer much closer to Ben Bruns than me. I promise. Because I've heard him say it. And you know what? When I was a secular conservative, I believed it too. Because if I didn't believe human nature was basically good, I was then going to have to admit what about myself? I'm not good. And if I'm not good, that must mean I have to be accountable to something for being bad. Raise your hand if you like accountability. Hey, put your hand down there in Montana. You're lying to everybody. Raise your hand if you like accountability. Raise your hand when you go to a new church, you're thinking, man, you know what? I got to make sure I'm in a really transparent accountability group, like day one. Raise your hand. Who loves it? Like, who, who's, who after you, I should have asked Ben this question yesterday. Hey, when you had a bad game and you blew a blocking assignment, they got your quarterback lit up. How much were you really looking forward to film study the next day? I can't wait. I can't wait for coach with the clicker to show me in front of my other 84 teammates how I literally got my quarterback a new jaw. No one likes accountability. No one does. So again, until we come to grips with who we really are, we are incapable for, of acknowledging God for who he really is because we will desire to share space with him. If not, occupy his space altogether. We can't avoid it. We can't help it. It's who we are. And the fact that Ben came in here and I, I didn't, you saw the emails? What did I tell him? Any comment, any topic you want to bring up? I had no idea what he was going to ask me. No clue. And that was on purpose. And I said, now, if you, and you heard what I said to him yesterday, if you ask me a, a, a question about professional relationships, I may not be able to answer, and I'll say that. But, you know, you can ask me anything you want. Nothing's off limits. But and, and all I asked him to do was, here's our show clock. Take the things that you find most important and ask me those first to make sure we have enough time to address them. And he did that. And the very first thing he wanted to know, because see, Ben is smart. He's a critical thinker. He recognizes that ultimately the difference between him and me is this question. Because if I believe human nature is basically good, I'm going to have a different view of what government can do to make us even better. But if I believe human nature is not basically good, I'm going to think government needs to be really limited. Because when we put people that aren't good in government, it doesn't do good. It does makes us worse. All of the debate we're having today and I mean all, on the right and the left in the political arena, is all about ourselves. That's what it's all about, ourselves. I was thinking about this recently. How many, I mean, I'm pretty open that I think Jesus is the Messiah. 
And and yet, and I've gotten earnest questions from Jewish listeners and viewers. Probably my best friend in politics right now is Jewish. And yet, I have a pretty staunchly Trinitarian Orthodox view. I don't think we've altered it for any sort of an audience. And yet, I'm I I get tons of email from people that have non-Trinitarian. Uh, religious viewpoints or Jewish viewpoints. And you know what? I've, I, I'm like, you know, I started, started thinking about myself. Man, I must be really good at this. And then I kind of realized, no, you know what it is? They're desiring, they're, they are finding it fascinating that someone wants to fo- put the focus on God and not on ourselves. Because you know what you can get everywhere else pretty much? Selves. What we think, ourselves. Selves. Yeah. And I think that's killing us as a culture, man. Just killing us. You're paraphrasing Lincoln. I don't hope that God's on my yeah. side, but I hope that I'm but on we are his. On, we are on his, yeah. He's exactly right. That's crushing us. Absolutely crushing us. Because we're not good. And bad times bad is going to get you just more bad. And that's what we're doing all the time. The fact that Ben asked the most important question, that's why I gave him an hour on my own show. The fact that this hack at the Daily Beast just wanted to sneer at me, I ripped off my earpiece and walked off. No. You don't owe everybody a nicety. Can I say that again? Yeah, I will. You don't owe everybody a nicety. You don't. What do you think? You know, kicking the dust off your sandals, do you know what that meant in the ancient world? Do you understand? We don't understand a lot of these cultural uh, references from the from the from the first century or ancient times. What you did in the ancient world when you found someone to essentially be full of manure or beneath the dignity of reacting to, because you know they didn't have sanitary conditions. That's why washing feet was a considered a menial task for the lowest class. And you'd walk around, they didn't have a lot of, you know, paved roads. So you walked around these dirty, these dirty ways all day long wearing what? Sandals. Sandals. Underneath your sandals, what condition were your feet in? Not good. Not good. So when you took your sandal off and you shook it at somebody, that's the middle finger, bro. You're basically saying, hey, behind every bird. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's essentially, the, that, that's, that, that's what that was. This wasn't just some like, you know, Jesus wasn't just sitting around, you know, what would be like a cool thing? Hypocrite, what did that mean? That's what they called, that was the word they called the traveling marauding bands of actors in those days. These aren't idle references. They're weird to us because this is the 21st century. Calling a group of people whitewashed tombs is essentially our equivalent of, you guys are like t- your total tools. Just total tools, man. Like nothing, nothing happened in there. Total tools. If I walked into a church and called people a tool, folks, y'all would lose your minds. Lose your minds. Shaking your the dust because you're saying you're beneath the dignity of me reacting to. I'm out. Five thousand. Poor went out. So that's what we do to wolves. But when the sheep want to know, we give them all the time and tender mercy in the world. More in a moment here on The Blaze.
So a lot of studies say it's normally around between Valentine's Day, St. Patty's Day, this time of year, that uh, the vast majority of us will lose our resolve with those New Year's resolutions. There's even been studies that say about 80% of them fail by the time we get to the end of March. And as smoking has become less and less culturally acceptable and and there's uh, substitutes for it, you know, with e-cigarettes, vaping, things of that nature. It used to be smoking and and weight loss kind of used to tie every year for uh, the most popular New Year's resolution. Now it's pretty much get healthy and lose weight. Uh, it's it's alone at the top by itself. And so if you feel like, you know, I tried, man, I really did. And I'm losing the battle of the bulge, particularly if you're 40 or older like me. You know, our metabolism just isn't what it used to be, right? And I can just tell you that as hard as it was for me to lose over 100 pounds when I started doing this when I was around 35, if I just started doing it now, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how hard it was to reboot my metabolism 10 years ago, it doesn't get any easier the older we get. So that could be a reason why. You may even be, you know what, man, I've... I don't know. I I've, I'm, think I'm not eating enough, but then they tell me I'm eating too much. A lot of this is based off of metabolic rate. So let me introduce you to a, a new product called Riduzone. And it's been formulated to help you manage your weight by boosting your metabolism and the curbing of your appetite. Now, let me tell you right up front, this is not a stimulant. I wouldn't be talking about it if it was. Um, instead, this is, uh, this is an all-natural supplement that contains OEA, a single ingredient, formulated to send your body kind of the signal, I'm full, stop eating. It's a metabolite of olive oil. Um, and so you could get it from that if you wanted to drink like an entire bottle of it. Our bodies actually produce it, particularly more of it when we're younger. Uh, and then again, again, as that metabolism slows down, this is one of the reasons why as we get older, our bodies produce less of this substance. So if you really like olive oil and my you know ancestors were Sicilian, I love it. I'm not sure I could drink an entire half bottle of it by itself, though. That might be stressing. That might be stretching my ador- my adoration for olive oil. There's a simpler solution. Uh, one capsule of Riduzone has essentially that amount of OEA that you'd have to drink a half a bottle of olive oil to get. If you want to give this a shot, go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. Riduzone.com. Use promo code Steve. Get 30% off of a three-month supply right now. Riduzone.com. Promo code Steve to get 30% off of a three-month supply. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Let's get to... Some feedback Friday. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Dan from Iowa. So right here in our backyard. Says, I've been calling progressivism a religion for years, like you have been. And I love you referring to it as kind of a spirit of the age cult. Maybe we can combine our thinking. I also think their tolerance doctrine is the Ford mantra. Remember Henry Ford saying, you can have any color car you want as long as it's black. Same with this cult. You can say anything you want, as long as it's what we want. You can think any way you want, as long as it's what we think. You can be anyone, as long as it's what we want you to be. You can take this doctrine to scores of conclusions. Love the show. Good work. Dan. Nailed it. Start a podcast, brother. That is out freaking standing. You nailed that. Nailed it. All right. I mean, I, that's a great analogy. It's one of the best I've ever heard. 
I mean, you you essentially explained, you know, we had John Miller from our, our White House correspondent on one of our roundtables uh, this week here on The Blaze. And we had him on the day that we were getting into, well, the fourth time we thought we were done with the Ilian Omar anti-Semitism story, which- Correct. Yeah, I submitted a column to Conservative Review today because they were supposed to have the vote last night and then this morning. And then we had to like re-edit it a third time because they still haven't done their own vote. They cannot, they can't get around what Dan is articulating to just singularly say that's bad, that bad. Because why? Because the group identity says the only thing in their mindset that's really bad is not being a part of our group. That's really the only thing that's bad. That your real sin is not being a part of our group, which is why it's, it's, it's not, they don't care about black people. They care about black people that care about what they want them to care about. And they don't care about women. They care about women who care about what they want them to care about. Right? So if you're, if you're, if you're a pro-life women, woman, they have no use for you. You're like not even a woman. You like don't exist. And if you're black, like our White House correspondent, John Miller, and you've decided, you know, I kind of have my own opinions. Well, then you're not really black and white liberals will convince you. We'll, 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 of course, uh, they'll, at, at the Jesuit school, Georgetown, uh, well, they'll, they'll, they'll make sure to tell you whether you're black enough, even though after they get done going to work uh, at a university with tenure and they go to their suburban DC brownstone, the only black person they know, uh, except for their students, you know, is, 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 you know, the one that, uh, they have doing menial tasks on their behalf, right? That's, that's the order. That, that is the order of things. That it really comes down to your identity is based on how we get to identify you. If you violate that, then you have no identity and can be dehumanized from that point forward. You guys want to add any of that? Can't. It's perfect. Yep. Kim in Ohio says, it's clear now that what the left is talking about is open infanticide and our level of activism needs to increase, which leads me to my question. What are the circumstances when Christians have the moral obligation to direct civil disobedience? And what does that look like? Also, what are the steps that the average Christian can take today to become more involved in the pro-life movement? Voting for Republicans and waiting for good judges clearly isn't the answer. Um, this is a really good question. And I don't, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is it's not a good question because she worded it well or um, cause she did, or because it's an issue we care about and we do, but because I think it's a conversation, I'm, I'm going to go to, we're not always trying to win an argument. A lot of times around here, we're just trying to start one. I spoke at, um, our buddy Bob Vanderplatz's leadership summit last fall. And the title of my talk was the conversation every pastor in this room needs to have with their congregation. And most of you aren't. And Kim, it was a variation of what you're asking me. Are you prepared to be Daniel? Are you prepared to be one of your church fathers? Are you prepared to suffer for the name? Are you prepared to say no? Are you prepared to refuse to comply? Now, I bring you this day... Glad tidings of great joy. If you're a believer and you're not sure, man, I don't know if I could do it. I have good news. You're going to find out. You're going to get the answer. 
because you're going to be forced into the situation of answering. And you may think, I thought you told me this was going to be good news. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is often how the good news has been the most effectively spread throughout this earth, is our refusal. The large cloud of witnesses the writer of Hebrews addresses to in faith say, no, no, I won't do that. I won't comply. The gladiator games in Rome were stopped by one monk who was visiting Rome and he came upon the gladiator games. Well, what's, what's this hullabaloo about? Why, why is everybody in the community so fixated on this? And he enters into the games, sits there in the Colosseum, and is appalled at what he is witnessing. This isn't wrestling or an ancient form of boxing. This isn't any kind of a sport. This is a bludgeoning. This is this is this is this is you know gore. A pornographic version of gore. These are maulings. Dehumanization. He is appalled as he looks around and sees the cheering throngs of crowds. And so he rushes to the floor of the Colosseum in the midst of it. And he holds up his hand and he says, Stop! In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stop this. In other words, he says, no. And I got to tell you, that was amazing that people were so moved that right at that moment, they were so moved by his bravery. And tone. Probably. And tone. I mean, he said it very nicely. that um, The gladiator games immediately ended right then and there. Like, in, like a lion had a Christian like in his mouth, neck deep, and he stopped chewing. No, that's actually not what happened. Uh, they murdered him right there on the floor of the Colosseum for getting in the way. But the murder of that monk was found to be so appalling by the people and just shocked them to the point that it woke them up and the gladiator games actually were soon gone. See, that's why most of us won't say no. That's why most of us won't refuse. Because, oh, we know God will give us vindication. It just, we might have a good Friday before we get to a resurrection Sunday. And those don't tickle. And they're not fun. And they don't, you know, leave an inheritance for my loved ones and they don't help me to self-actualize. They don't grow my church. They don't grow my subscriber base. They don't get me on Fox or the lead, uh, you know, link on Drudge. So I'm sure there's another way. And I'm, I'm sure that that other way is let's take over and reorganize the Republican Party for the 64th year in a row. And this time, this time it will work. Can can we get a, um, a conservative platform thrown on in with that too? In fact, I'm going to even I'm going to throw in the most conservative platform they've ever had, just for you, man. Thank you. Just for you, because you're not just you. voting for a person or a party; you're mm -hmm. voting for the platform framed even that they ignore. 
you know, you're voting for that too. So yeah. I'm sold. I'm sold. But Kim, your question is the money question we need to be asking and, and answering and game planning right now. When is it, when do we practice civil disobedience? When do we say no? And if you're not sure, the good news is they're going to ask you until you find out. Ask Jack Phillips. They took him all the way to the Supreme Court and then they ambushed him again with the gender dysphoria nonsense. And he said no again. And they came after him again. But when they realized that he had set the precedent that he was willing to take this all the way to the end, they tapped out. What are we willing to take to the end? Anything to that, Todd? Unfortunately, not much. The answer to your question is always right now. Because doing it right now gives you the strength, win or lose in this moment, to do it later. If you keep thinking that you're going to be ready when the right moment comes, right moment's just going to run over you. It's going to have no use for you. Now, always now, who among us would not give it? To, to have the problems of 10 years ago and to have mm. a shot at dealing with them then versus right now. And the same is going to be true, and it's not going to be 10 years. We keep talking about what's just going to happen tomorrow. Now, when it comes your way, the next time, now. I remember when, when, the, when I first started, when I made my full-time transition from sports to uh, news talk in 2006 and seven, and I did an interview with a guy, I think his name was Roger Severino, who's now with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And he had just done a white paper for Harvard Law. And um, it was about this whole argument that re- if we redefine marriage, it'll be used as a launching point to uh, push back and persecute religious freedom. And he had just done this white paper for Harvard where he had looked at all the other European countries that had uh, that had redefined marriage. And of course, a company, if you're going to say this behavior is moral to the point that this is how we want to fundamentally frame our families, it only makes sense that you're going to say to the people who disagree with its morality, you must be silenced because you're arguing against our civilization. We don't want that. And so Harvard wanted him to answer this question for them. Can you imagine Harvard today saying, you know, we're really not sure if, if, what, if it's a good idea to give 15-year-old boys hormonal treatments to turn them into girls. And what happens when they get older and they decide maybe it was wrong in the reversal? Let's look at the long-term ram- You think they would do that? Hell, literally, hell like no. Like I said, the Iowa Supreme Court just said you got to do that yeah. by force of law. And if you would dare ask that, you, if you, if you want to find out, how do I lose my tenure at Harvard? Ask that question. That'll do it. That goes to what you're talking yeah. about. We, we can't even debate things that were not even contemplative when I first started in this business a decade or so ago. They can't even be debated now. Let's close with this one. Jeffrey Payne writes, To America, President Trump is like a cold shower and strong coffee for someone who's drunk. It sobers him up temporarily. That's when the battle begins between the part that says, I want to be sober and live, and the part that says, even if it kills me, I will keep drinking. For America, the addiction is not alcohol, but political power. Like the $21 trillion federal debt is Uncle Sam's current bar tab. One political party has convinced that power is the cure to what ails us. It's the crazy party. The other is convinced that the status quo is just fine. It's the couch potato party. There is no party for getting America clean and sober. 
Most of us are in comfortable denial of the addiction. May God open our eyes, break our hearts, and change our direction before America dies. You guys' thoughts on that? Very apropos, I believe. It's very much like an addiction because what's the what's the first thing that you go through uh, when you end an addiction? Withdrawal. Withdrawal. Yeah. It's, um, as I understand, uh, with the uh, example of alcohol that's given, it can be very painful. It can, it can maybe even be dangerous. If we just decided to pull out and just say, screw you, Republican Party. Uh, screw you. I'm. We're done. We're not playing this game anymore. The consequences of that, maybe in the long term, uh, the the road that you're going down there, that might be good in the long term. But immediately in the near term, boy, uh, I think you're probably going to go through a lot of pain. And I think that's going to be a decision that a lot of people um, are going to make. I think clearly so far, it's like as long as we still have an opportunity to reject communism, to reject Marxism – uh, and socialism, we're going to do that. But I think that's a very apropos um, alleg- or, uh, analogy. I mean, Trump, I think, was a step towards what you're talking about. I think the secret sauce, how many people, when we had open primary states, Trump overperformed in over open primary states compared to closed primary states comprehensively, meaning states where you didn't have to pre-justify as a, as a registered Republican in order to vote in a primary. He brought all kinds of new voters in that had voted for Obama twice. In many respects, this was the secret the secret sauce of his primary win over the field is a lot of Americans saw him as the as a path to getting beyond the two-party system, the the first step towards getting there, that he was essentially a third-party candidate within the two-party system. Let's get some final thoughts. What you guys all learned today, this week? Todd, I'll start with you. Well, uh, I learned um, not only today, but uh, in response to uh, yesterday, that um, when people uh, really like, uh, again, the art of the, the debate, uh, raising the bar along those lines, it, 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 I sleep well at night knowing that we have an audience out there who's asking uh, for more of what you've seen in the last couple of days uh, than just uh, more clicks, yo. Um, that's worth coming to work every day, and I'm honored to do it on your behalf. Aaron? Yeah, I learned uh, overall this week that um, even even when there is uh, you know nothing existential uh that's going on uh right this moment seemed to be a fairly other than the elon omar story this week seemed to be compared to most weeks a fairly a fairly tame week on the news and there are still um discussions to be had along the way along the lines of what todd said that there are still uh there's there's something that we can do at least on this show to give our audience something of substance, to give them stake, it's easy to do easier to do that when there's when you're just being lied to. Uh, it's not so easy to do that when there's nothing really going on in the whole world. And I think we did that at least to the best of our ability this week. Everybody have a great weekend. Spring will soon be here. That's the rumor, anyway. John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.